Good morning to everyone here with us in person. Good morning to those who are watching uh, from home online. What a what a joy, what a privilege it is to be able to gather together and begin our Advent se- season. And if there was ever a year in desperate need of Advent, I would guess that this would be the year for it, huh? And so we get to make much of all that God has done in the sending of His Son. And we get to be, hopefully, greatly encouraged. The reality is, and I'm just going to guess, we're all very tired. We are all worn down. We face a pandemic and its complications and do not see a finish line. We live in a country divided harshly over race, religion, politics. We may have even experienced a frustrating holiday this last Thursday, as we didn't get to spend it with the people we love, or we chose not to spend it with them, and they are upset with us. There's tension, there's frustration, there's impatience, there's exhaustion, and we face those things each day. This year has definitely been quite wearying. So much so that hope doesn't seem so thrilling. Hope seems kind of absent. So this Advent, we're going to be directing our hearts to this thrilling hope. A thrilling hope for a weary world. But in order for us to really grasp how thrilling the hope is, we need to know And take into consideration our context, a weary world. If you have a Bible, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Our series, A Thrilling Hope for a Weary World, will be moving through the whole landscape of the Bible. We are in Genesis 3 this week, and next week we will be in the prophet Isaiah And in two weeks, we will be in the Gospel of Matthew. And then we will be in Galatians. And then we're going to be in Revelation. So you're going to get the whole flyover of all that God has done for us and promised and purposed and fulfilled and applies to our lives right now. What an incredible story. And thrilling hope for a weary people. In a weary world. So today, let's get the origin story of our weary world. We're going to consider all of chapter 3, but right now we're just going to read verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. There is the origin story of our weary world. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would do a good work in our hearts. Help us to see in your word a thrilling hope fixed on you and who you are and what you have done. God, may that give us great strength and confidence now in the facing of a world that is wearying, physically, emotionally, spiritually wearying. And so, God, would you help, we pray. Be with us now as we come to your word, the preaching, the hearing, the receiving, the believing, the trusting, the clinging, the hoping. In your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. My hope This morning is as we consider the context of our weary world, why it is so wearying that you and I will come away with a a yearning and a longing to, to, to cling to that which God has provided for us in Christ. That you and I would would want to live a life that longs for what God has provided in Christ. That maybe, just maybe, for you and I, the good that comes from 2020, a wearying year, the good that actually comes out of this year is that you and I have hearts that long for all that God has provided for us in Christ. That the things that we have been most comfortable with, the things that we have taken granted, the things that we have not really even given much thought to, in terms of their importance, would then just all be shifted around and you and I come out of it with a longing for what God has provided for us. That we would see this world as nothing but a wearying buffet and we would want to long for that which God has already given. That's my hope as we consider this, as we work through this. And so we really need to better come to grips with what on earth, literally, (laughs) what on earth is all about this wearying world. And so I have two questions for us to sort of serve as helpful directions where we're going today. Why is the world so wearying? And as we think through that, as we look at Genesis 3, a natural question then will be, how can there be any hope? Let alone a thrilling hope. Let's just take hope. (laughs) My hope is that we see a thrilling hope. Those are our questions for us as we're going to work through. Why is the world so wearying? Well, the origin story of our weary world is we find here sin is introduced. Sin is introduced. And, and sin here 
and sin in your life, this thing that gets rehearsed in the way that we live and the way that we struggle and the way that we sin follows a very similar track that we find here in Genesis 3. First of all, it's birthed out of unbelief. Then it moves into rejection of God, which then ultimately shows up in rebellion to who he is and what he says and and his ways. So first it starts off with unbelief. For those who are with us during the Exodus series, unbelief is doubting that God can or will. Doubting that God can or will. In Genesis 3, we see, did God actually say? There's already there the seed of this sin, this wearying world, is a doubt that God can or will. An issue of unbelief. Before there is an action, there is the issue of unbelief in the heart. Our world is wearying because of unbelief. Because we doubt that God can or will. And so we go about trying and doing. And we're weary. At the heart here is that we see is unbelief. And this unbelief then starts to take form. There starts to have a movement of it. And that is rejecting God's word and ways. Rejecting God's word and ways. Eve said when, or it said of Eve, when she saw that the tree was good for food, her eyes had gone off of what God had said and was now on to this thing that became consumed with her unbelief. And then rebellion took shape. Rebelling against God's character and his sovereignty. She took of its fruit and eight. The sin has run this course in our lives as well. Unbelief into rejection into rebellion. We experience this and we suffer its consequences. And this sin that is introduced here in Genesis 3 which is the very origin of our wearying world, is not only introduced, but then it is reproduced throughout all of human history. The effects of this day in Genesis 3 has brought about the wearying world we live in now. And there are three major realities in Genesis 3 that help us understand our wearying world. And we're going to work through those together. In this chapter, there are three realities of what sin has is being reproduced in our world that makes it so weary. First is this sin brings difficulty. Sin brings difficulty to everything in this world, everything in our lives, everything, everywhere. Sin brings difficulty. Difficulty. Life is now hard. It is not as it should be. Because sin brings difficulty. We have relational difficulty. We have physical difficulty. We have emotional difficulty. We have learning difficulties. We have health difficulties. We have societal difficulties. We have political difficulties. We have economic difficulties and so forth because sin rots from the inside out. The world we live in is wearying because sin brings difficulty. 
Our chapter plays this out, and so does human history, and so does today. In our chapter, we see that the world now is a place of conflict. It is a place of conflict. Look over with, if you could, just to Genesis 3.15. God speaking to the serpent and says these words, I will put enmity, which is conflict, strife, war, between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. The world is wearying because sin brings difficulty creating this conflict. Our world is weary. It's a place of conflict. Second, we see that sin brings difficulty and that blessings in life are now filled with this conflict. Blessings in life The good in life is now also filled with conflict. Look at Genesis 3.16. God speaking to the woman. I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. But he shall rule over you. There is familial and relational and physical pain and conflict That has come about because of sin. Sin brings difficulty to everything, everywhere. The world is a place of conflict. Blessings are now a place of conflict. And then thirdly, responsibilities that you and I have in this life are bogged down with conflict. Look what God says to To the man in verses 17 through 19. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground for out of it you are taken. For you are dust and dust you shall return. The world is wearying because sin brings difficulty to everything. We are weary from facing this ever-present, always relevant reality. That's one of the realities of this origin story of our weary world. Sin brings difficulty. Secondly, what we find is that sin exposes futility. Sin exposes futility. That means sin reveals that we can't overcome the difficulty. All of our efforts, all of our trying, all of the things that we pursue to overcome the difficulty that our world is waterlogged with because of sin are futile, meaningless, vain, empty, incomplete, can't do it. There's good news coming. (laughs) Just reading the room right now. (laughs) Sin exposes this futility. Three exposures. First is this. Adam and Eve tried to deal with the shame of their sin. They tried to cover what they had done. Genesis 3, 7. 
The eyes of both were open. They realized now something has radically changed. They knew that they were naked. What an interesting development brought on by sin. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They tried to cover up what they felt in the shame of their sin. Sin exposes the futility of this. Secondly, we find that Adam and Eve tried to hide from God. They tried to hide from him. Verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. How futile is that? (laughs) It's God. It's like playing hide-and-seek with your kids. You know where they are. (laughs) There was no hiding. No hiding. Can't hide yourself in career can't hide yourself in a relationship or relationships can't hide yourself in comforts and pleasures and possessions and acceptance and notoriety there's no hiding yourself with the good life of our western culture can't hide it third exposure that sin brings out is that Adam and Eve tried to blame others Tried to cover it up, tried to hide it, tried to shift the blame. Verse 12, God speaking, and then the man responding, the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Our attempts to overcome our difficulties brought on by sin are futile, they are vain, and they are empty. In the world that we live in, it offers a bloated buffet of futile solutions to sin. The good life, success, pleasures, acceptance, relationships, identities influence our ordinariness and everything in between. They cannot overcome these difficulties. Sin exposes our efforts as empty. If you don't believe me, then read Ecclesiastes. It's an interesting little book tucked away, maybe about middle-ish of your Bible. In there, here we have King Solomon, who has every resource and reach imaginable, humanly speaking. And he comes away from a pursuit of over, trying to overcome the difficulties in life and to have the best life now. He comes away and he writes a book. And at the very beginning and scattered throughout and at the very end, he reinforces yet again these words in Ecclesiastes 1, 2, and 3. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is Vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Sin exposes our empty efforts to overcome its difficulty. That is a large measure of why this world is so wearying. 
and the world that we live in, the whole created order, the whole cosmos, if you will, is also groaning under the weight of this futility. Romans chapter 8 is another place that brings that out. Creation is longing for that second advent. Romans 8.20, for creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. And it groans for restoration. It groans for restoration. So everywhere it's been impacted by sin and it makes everything broken and it makes everything hard and everything is difficult and we can't overcome it. And when we try, it's just empty and we're weary and tired. That leads us to the third reality. It gets worse. It gets worse. Sin is, brings difficulty. Sin exposes futility. Sin leads to death. Sin ends in death. That's harsh. Your life is hard. You can't overcome all of its difficulties. There's never enough duct tape. And then you die. Think about that for a minute. We've been collectively, societally, facing death very acutely this year. Life is hard. And then there's death. As if the difficulty brought on by sin and the futility by which we try to overcome it wasn't wearying enough. Young in this room or old, rich in this room or poor, and everyone in between, at the end of the day, there's death. And death is physical and spiritual. Death happened that day And the death that happened that day was going to happen again in a future day for that man and that woman. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God gave these instructions. It says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is why our world is weary right now. COVID, politics, racial strife didn't produce the difficulty and expose our futility. They have exposed the difficulty and futility in us that was already there. This is our weary world. So, how can there be any hope? Friends, we don't have to leave Genesis 3 to get that hope. In fact, we see there at the origin of our weary world is the, the, the first 
flickering of this hope that is truly thrilling. Thrilling hope for you and I in this weary world with weary lives. A thrilling hope because God promises to do something about our sin and its difficulty and futility and death. Sin does not get the last word. God gets it. And that last word is for us, for you and me right now in this wearying day. A thrilling hope that we can hold on to right now and walk out this door with excited to face a weary world because of this thing that we have from God. So let's take a moment and drink this up. Let's take this in. Because the world isn't going to stop being wearying. There's no good life coming. It's just going to be a different kind of wearying. Let's hold on to then something greater. Let's hold on to that which God has provided. In Genesis chapter 3, we find God countering what sin has produced and reproduced. We find God countering what sin has produced and reproduced. First, we see God brings truth. Countering the difficulty, God brings the stark reality of truth to bear on the situation. And this is good. This is a good thing for you and I, that God brings truth. You see, God drew out Adam and Eve from hiding. He brought truth to their lives, lives that were already soaked with the lies of unbelief. And God didn't soften sin or its consequences. He was real and he was straight about what they had done. Like a good doctor who sits down and speaks straight to you about cancer. He doesn't hide the details. He is straightforward and it is a grace. Genesis chapter 3 verse 11 is a gracious verse. You wouldn't think it reading it, but it is. God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? He already knew all of that. He was bringing them out of their hiding and out of the lies. And he was bringing truth to bear on their souls. This is good for us. The serpent spoke lies, but God was bringing truth. God is bringing truth. He brings truth throughout all of his word. He brings truth throughout history. He brings truth into your lives right now. He doesn't let you sink submerged into lies. He brings truth. Secondly, God countering what sin produced and reproduced in Genesis 3. We find God provides grace. God provides grace countering the futility. Our efforts can't overcome what our sin has produced. But God's grace is greater than sin. God's grace is more powerful than sin. God's grace is greater than our empty, vain, futile efforts and strength. God's grace is power. 
Adam and Eve sought to hide, cover, shift responsibility of their sin. And all of those efforts were exposed as futile before the God of all truth. But truth came as a grace. As God provided that which Adam and Eve couldn't. Look at verse 21 of chapter 3. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin. Garments of skin and clothed them. This is dripping with with future fulfillment in all that God would do for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because think about it. God, what God provided was first sacrificial garments of skin. What skin? Animal skin. Something died in the place of Adam and Eve. It was sacrificial. And it was sufficient. It was superior to their fig leaves, sort of half-heartedly sewn together. It was Far, far more sufficient in covering them. All of their efforts were to hide and to cover in this makeshift way. And God sacrificially provided for them something overwhelmingly sufficient. It hints and it screams, look forward to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God provides grace. God's grace is sufficient in the face of our weakness, in our inability, in the face of a difficult world filled with futility and conflict. God's grace is sufficient for you right now in your chronic physical pain or your emotional weight and struggle And gray and dark. Or in your spiritual struggle with habitual sin. God's grace is greater than it. Greater in every way. In this dark day. We have the rays of a thrilling hope. In your dark day, there are rays of thrilling hope in God who brings truth and provides grace. Thirdly, God counters death. God promises life. Sin brings death. God promises to crush death. How about that? How about that? Go back to Genesis 3.15 again. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's a lot of death promised in that verse. For one, a bite to the heel from a poisonous snake would sure be, would bring a sure death to the offspring. But that death bite would be the end because it would happen under a death stomp of the serpent. What Adam should have done the moment that serpent spewed out a single lie. Adam should have grabbed that serpent, threw it on the ground and stomped its head. He failed, but Christ won't. But God won't. Because God will bring life. Sacrificial and sufficient. 
This provision of grace, this promise of life is pointing us to Christ, to who he is in his life, death, and resurrection. It's pointing us forward to long for this advent of God's promise to come into fruition, to be fulfilled. It points us forward to the rest of the Bible to keep reading and keep hoping and keep looking for when God would do this. And it happens. It happens in Jesus. So there your thrilling hope rests in what God has done for you in Jesus. In God bringing truth in Jesus. In God providing grace in Jesus. In God promising life in Jesus. Think of John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father. Full of what? Grace and truth. But how much grace? Well, look at verse 16 of John chapter 1. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. This is our thrilling hope. And it begins in Genesis 3. Well, it begins in Genesis 1. But it begins again in Genesis 3. It's a thrilling hope. Even in the darkest day here in Genesis 3. When sin is introduced and reproduced and brings about death. Yet we have here hope. And in our day right now, you and I, we have hope. Hope, yes, this is a wearying stretch of life, more so than any other I can ever remember. But we don't go through this wearying stretch without hope. We actually go through it with a thrilling hope. Because God, in Jesus, brought truth, brought grace, brought life, overcoming all that sin has produced in us. There, friends, is your hope. Right there is your hope. Your hope isn't in our nation reopening everything with vaccination and medical treatment all better. It's not found in centrist politics. It's not found in anything that is earthbound. Your thrilling hope is found in all that came to earth, lived, died, rose again, is reigning and ruling and one day returning. There, church, is your hope. Now. How can we have that hope now? Well, my admonition to us all is to live with longing. To you and I, we would be a people who live with longing. Maybe 2020 is teaching us to live with longing. How many of you may be unaware of this verse, but definitely have experienced it this year? Proverbs thirteen twelve, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. You hope in something only to see it closed, canceled, moved, gone. Makes the heart sick, doesn't it? We've had a lot of deferring this year. And it's okay for us to hope. It's okay to long for hope. It's okay for us to long for this to to end as long as this longing is rooted in a longing for God. 
Maybe this year, maybe this year is teaching us to live with longing for God. Two ways you and I can long for God this Advent season. First, longing for what we have in Christ. You and I, we can long for God. Maybe the wearying world we live in right now, it's frustrations, it's disappointments, it's deferring hope. Maybe that's going to cause us right now to be a longing people. And what we should be longing for is what we already have in Christ. It is a looking back at that first advent, that first arrival of Christ. And finding in Him... All the grace and truth that we could ever need. Seeing in Christ, grace upon grace brought near. Seeing in Christ the one who has overcome sin and death and the serpent for us. That our hearts would long to know him and worship him and love him and live for him. Maybe this hard year is going to wake up in you a longing to know Christ and him crucified. Long for what we have in Christ. Second kind of longing that maybe this Advent season can be for us is longing for what we will see in Christ. That we would be a people eager to know and and hold on to and anticipate and long looking forward to the second Advent of Christ. Knowing that when He returns... This difficult, futile, wearying, dead world will be no more. That there will be no more curse. There will be no more sin. What an incredible thing to long for. And we get to long for it with great confidence. Because our longing to what Christ did in his first advent. Is our fuel for longing for what Christ will do in his second advent. You need cross And you need glory to live in this wearying world. God has provided you both in Christ. Look nowhere else. Long for nothing else. But what God has richly and lavishly provided you already in Jesus. How does longing shape then the way you think? Longing in this way. How will it shape the way you think? How will it shape the way you feel in light of disappointments and frustrations and inconveniences and difficulties? How will it change the way that you live in the face of these things? Do you live as one without hope? No. You live with a thrilling hope. What would this look like? Oh, I'm praying and pleading that we would see what this would look like. An increasing measure in these coming weeks. I would say that a life that was longing in this way would look an awful lot like living with a thrilling hope. Not sour from a wearying world. Let's take this into consideration, friends. Let's do this together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the thrilling hope that it brings to our lives. And while we are weary in a weary world, God, we know that you provide for us that which is greater than what sin has produced. 
You bring truth. You bring grace. You bring life in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would long to have him in our lives, long to know him, long to live for him. So would you do a work in us to long to know what we already have in Christ? And would you do a work in us to long for what we will see in Christ one great and glorious day? God, would you do this, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.